Last week, we finished up the, uh, as we're starting the communion service, we looked at the uh, preface and the proper preface, uh, the preface being the uh, continual one, let us give thanks and the Lord our God is meet and right so to do, it's truly meet and right and salutary, we should at all times and in all places. Give thanks unto thee, O Lord, Holy Father, Almighty, Everlasting God, and giving a thanks. And then in each one of these, a proper preface or a, a reference to part of the church year. Uh, we saw that those proper prefaces, and we walked through kind of Advent, Christmas, Epiphany, some of those, rather than as doing all of those at every time, uh, it's kind of broken up throughout the year, and uh, that's how those uh, work. So we took a look at that and pretty well uh, finished that up. You have a new sheet before you. That one says, following the preface, common and proper, it then proceeds to the Sanctus, and the Sanctus, uh, uh, it flows right into that. Therefore, with angels and archangels, with all the company of heaven, we laud men. And, so, and then we join in singing this uh, Sanctus. Let's see if I can... praising thee and saying, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God of Sabaoth. Uh, this word holy in Latin is the word sanctus, so it would have been sung sanctus, sanctus, sanctus. That's where we get the, uh, the name for it. It goes on to say, Heaven and earth are full of thy glory. Then Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he, blessed is he, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Uh, following by the, the Lord's Prayer. But we're going to take a look at the Sanctus today. You can see the repetition uh, that comes. The Holy, 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 the Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. The Blessed is he, Blessed is he, Blessed is he. Uh, this hymn, this great canticle, I'm going to say similar to the glory and excelsis that you had with the service of the word. This is the big uh, uh, canticle that goes with the service of Holy Communion. Pastor, um this is an example that cometh in the name of the Lord or who cometh in the name of the Lord that or which cometh in the name of the Lord uh, does it make any difference because I notice there is some variation uh, is there any significance to that yeah. um, no I, it's simply a matter of translation as well as an older uh, sometimes an, uh, an older English rendering or such. Tony? Can you see it, Pastor? The Trinity there? I can. <laughs> I have my predecessor and you uh, of I would constantly point us out. This doesn't happen accidentally. I look at it. Where is the Trinity? Holy, 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 blessed, blessed, blessed. <laughs> Absolutely. Um Tony even picks it out when it does it in the music, uh, and the authors will 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 do that by the repetition of the notes or the jumps of a third or or things of that sort. But so uh, this first part of the Sanctus, it's actually composed of a, two parts primarily. One is the holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. That's taken from Isaiah 6. Uh, the second part, 
uh, is sometimes referred to as the Benedictus Quien. I don't remember the last part. Um, but uh, the two parts, because uh, one part was uh, said or chanted by the pastor congregation, the uh, the choir would join in with the "Blessed is He," and they would they would sing that part. Uh, so it's kind of composed of two parts, both of them scriptural. This first part comes from Isaiah chapter six. So I've produced for you on the uh, overhead here on the screen uh, a little bit of Isaiah six, so we can put it in its context. Why would we be singing these words? At this time, Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, each one had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth with it, and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your iniquity is taken away, and your sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. And he said, go and tell this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and be healed. Then I said, Lord, how long? And he answered, until the cities are laid waste and without inhabitant, the houses are without a man. The land is utterly desolate. The Lord has removed men far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And But yet, but yet, a tenth will be in it, and will return and be for consuming as a terebinth tree or as an oak, whose stump remains when it is cut down. So the holy seed shall be its stump. <clears throat> Isaiah 6. Uh, Isaiah is a prophet. He is preaching uh, to the uh, Israelites, as uh, which are divided up into the north, which is Israel, and Judah, which is in the south. King Uzziah. Uh, this appears to be a recounting of Isaiah's call to the ministry. Um, <coughs> And when is he called to the ministry? Well, in the year of King Uzziah, that would be the, the, the year of his death, although it would appear from some other places, Second Chronicles and others, that uh, Isaiah also did ministry before this. But this in particular is his uh, divine call, if you, if you will. Um, maybe not the beginning, but... but but definitely he gets this vision. Um, and not just a dream, but while he is awake, he is transported or gets to see things uh, uh, in a different place, I guess. Um, why is King Uzziah, why is that important? Both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom fell, that is, they lost the faith and were taken away into exile, and you know that is 568 BC and, and, and some other. Israel falls first, and that might, you might remember was Solomon. After he leaves, his kingdom is divided into two parts. 
uh, Israel, the northern kingdom, falls first. Judah is then uh, remains. King Uzziah is a pretty well the last of the good kings in Judah. And from this point, it's all going to go downhill. So it's at the very end, and Isaiah is sent. And when we get to the end of this, where he's sent to go out and speak, he says, well, you know, well, what, what am I supposed to do? Well, just keep talking, but they're not going to listen to you. I mean, that, that's pretty well what he said. How long? He says, well, till they all go into exile. Uh, but there's going to be a, you know, so we've got Isaiah told to go out and do this, but, but we know it's at, at the end of, of this. This is to be a comfort to Isaiah as well as to the people uh, that it's not the end yet, although things are going to get worse before, before it gets better. What did he see? He's transported. He says he sees the Lord on a throne, uh, the book of Revelation, uh, as well as Ezekiel, a couple others, uh, have references to uh, the Lord being on a throne in the heavenly temple, um, which is really there. It's a throne room. So if you can imagine a long room, maybe like long like as this, uh, the Lord is on his throne, and we're going to see the seraphim and these things going on. Isaiah is in the doorway at the other end. He's as, as far away from it as possible. Um, and he looks... And he gets to see, uh, he's on a throne, the Lord's high and exalted, he's got his you know, train like a bride would have, but it fills everywhere. These seraphim are uh, hovering in, in midair, and they are uh, having six wings, uh, and they're flying, um, and there is kind of, as it says, one cried to another, there is a kind of antiphonal chanting, singing, back and forth. I don't know if it is holy, 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 and then the other, uh, you know, on the other side they respond, is the Lord opposed, kind of going back and forth, or whether they chant this once, and then the other one responds and chants it, but similar to our uh, chanting of the Psalms, where there is you know, either half verse by half verse or verse by verse going back and forth, we see that, that going on in heaven. Uh, we'll come back to the words itself. Let's continue to get the context. Uh, Isaiah is way at the other end. As this chanting and as the seraphim and with the Lord there, the doorposts where he is is shaking, um, uh, it's, and, and the house is filled with smoke. You might say the, what we would say, the creation, everything around recognizes that this is, is the Lord. And uh, Isaiah is, is just getting a peek in and beginning to realize and to see this. And as he realizes this, what is his response? Confession. He realizes his sinfulness, uh, not only his personal sinfulness, but he says, I'm, I'm a part of a people. And so, I, you know, I represent, I'm with them, uh, and now, you know, nobody can see the Lord and live, and he realizes that. And so there is an immediate uh, confession when he, when he realizes. What happens? One of the seraphim, there are... Uh, in heaven, uh, there are different angels that are mentioned. There are seraphim and there are cherubim. This is the only reference to the seraphim. Um, early Christian fathers put a uh, ninefold, uh, based on their reading of the scriptures, a ninefold ranking of the angels. The seraphim being those that are closest to. Uh, worshiping the Lord, the cherubim, the I don't remember the third one, but there, there's their dominions, and then they kind of go down like like that. Um, uh, again, these are the the one time reference, and they are uh, close. What happens? One of these seraphim 
uh, takes a live coal, he took it with tongs from the altar, and he went and touched his mouth and gives him forgiveness. You're, you're, you, you've been forgiven. Your lips have been uh, purified. Uh, he's touched his lips. He said he was unclean. And so there is a, uh, a, a forgiveness that, that, that goes out from him. Uh, then, who, who can we send out? He says, well, you can send me. I'll be your prophet. I'll go out and do it. You can send me. And then we have him being sent out. And that is his uh, call to, to the ministry. Questions about the context? Yeah, Mary. At the end of that, it says the canon was excised. Um, that is in the liturgy, and I'll get to that later. Um, that comes after the Sanctus. Every liturgy has the preface, the Sanctus, and then either the canon or prayers or, or whatever. We'll see what Luther did with the, uh, with the liturgy. The other thing that is, it just struck me here, how terribly important that thing of repentance is. It, it's just, you, just know, you can't get away from it. <laughs> right, right. We're, we're always left, you know, with with that. Um, very good. And, and so, even though we began with the uh, versicles that go back and forth, uh, lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord, and we talked about. Listen, nothing earthly minded. Let's put our. You know. Nevertheless, you know there still is after this. The priest washes his hands, and you go. Well, I thought we took care of all that. Well, we're, we're never really done. Um, we're, we're all, and so yes, you're right. Um, but we know that there is no wrath because of forgiveness. And so there is the comforting of forgiveness, though we see ourselves as, well, not really changed till we die, till we, that we get rid of the sinful nature. So, All right, so, right, so we have that. Going back up at the top, holy, holy, holy. Uh, that which is in the Old Testament, as it speaks of, and I think, you know, Tony hits it, you know, do you see the Trinity? Yes, I do. Of course I do. Did the Old Testament people, well, like a shadow, you know, there's something there. Um, there's, you know, did they get it all? We don't, we don't know. Um, you know, they knew about the Spirit of God. They knew the Father. They knew that the Messiah was going to come and he would be God. I, you know, and yet did they... At times they spoke in ways that would sound like that, but did they use the word train? Well, no, it, it didn't come. It was a shadow. And then it's finally revealed, and we look back and go, well, it was there all the time. Of course it was. And so, surely, uh, this is the Lord of, of, of hosts. That's a military terminology. Uh, Sabaoth, sometimes it is referred to. Don't get it confused with Sabbath, which means rest. Sabaoth means armies and numbers and so here comes the lord with all it's it's a military imagery that he's going to come victorious and he comes with all of this and then the whole earth is full of his glory that's the key what is that what does it mean the whole earth is full of his glory I assume it's talking about the creation tells of the glory of the Lord. Yes. Yes. So, not just, again, this is going on in the heavenly court, but the sending out of Isaiah and everything is gone is so that in the end, everything will be reconciled. In the end, all creation, which is now groaning, will now rejoice. Uh, all people will bend the knee all will, this is, you know, with the coming of the Holy, Holy, everything will be set right. And so this is, as Isaiah goes to heaven, he sees, I'm going to say, the, the conclusion, the purpose for everything that is, is going on. 
I was just thinking to myself that maybe I'm missing a more important part. I think of the Lord's Prayer when it says that thy will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. Perhaps it's more important to know that God's will is being done on earth. His plan for our salvation is shown. God's glory throughout the entire earth. That's really it. So, the Lord's Prayer. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the... And the glory, it all belongs to him when it all recognized. How does that happen? Obviously, this happens through Isaiah. He shows himself confessing sins and being forgiven, but then him going out and preaching the good news so that it might convert the nations, um, that it might do that. Yes, that's, that's the way that it happens. I think it's important for us to remember that in the Lord's Prayer, we're not praying that this is ha- that this happens. We're we're agreeing that it happens. That's why we can say Amen to the Lord's Prayer. It's already going on. The same way with the creed. This is the way it is. That's really the point. We don't see any of that, or not very much of it. You see it in the church, but nowhere else. But that's what it that's what's going on. When you say Amen to the Lord's Prayer, you're basically saying, That's the way it is, Lord, and what's going on is the way it's supposed to be. We we use the word glory a lot, but I'm you know, I'm thinking about what does uh, of what does God's glory consist? What are we talking about? Okay. I mean I kinda of have an idea but I'm having a hard time putting it in words. In the Old Testament, the word kavod is the Hebrew word for glory. That is one of those words that they write books this long, and when you get done, you kind of go, I think I kind of know what you're talking about. (laughs) Um, So you've hit upon something that, uh, that I don't think as sinful human beings that we can ever wrap our our head around with yeah, it. Because, of course, we, we have no comprehension of God at all. But let me finish the Sanctus, and I'm going to say, I'll tell you what we do know. <laughs> Tony? I'm just going to, Mark really said it there. There's so many words about God that we try to describe in our words, it just doesn't get there. Right. Omnipotent, you know, here, everything that he does, uh, eternity, all of that. I mean, none of those words do it justice. We're trying the best we can to describe it. I agree. You know, and even if I, you know, and I will give you the simplest definition. The glory of the Lord is when who he is and what he does is truly known. Christ. So so there's a fulfillment. But, But the point is, is that he will be known for who he is and, and and what he has done, and it will be, and that way the glory. You know, so you, you, someone might talk about you know so and so's glory. Well, you, you, then you learn about them in battle and what they did, and you kind of go, well, now I know them, so I know you know that's their that's their glory uh, for for our Lord, what he is and what. So that's that's primarily what it is. But how does that happen? And and for us, what do we know? Well, we know that when we're in that hall called to heaven and we're now changed and we can see that and understand until then we just do the best we can blubbering around with the the best we can with a lot of good people trying to put it all together perfect so in the liturgy what are we doing we're getting to the point where we're saying we just we just like isaiah we we are going into we've heard the word We've received all this. Now we're standing at the at the doorway, and we're beginning to see the glory of the Lord. Um, right? It's and, and you know trembling and all of that. That goes with it, of course. Uh, Isaiah, you, you kind of sometimes with with different uh, writers, you have to pull out. The phrase "the Holy One of Israel" that's Isaiah. When you hear that, you go, "Oh." Um, he's he's. There's only a couple other times in the scriptures. I think three other times. Jeremiah does it twice. Ezekiel does it once. But each time they're quoting Isaiah. 
nice because Isaiah always refers to him in that way. Um, and so, if we're going to draw near to the Holy One of Israel, or Isaiah 5, 19, and then I jump to 24, they say, let him make speed and hasten his work that we may see it, and let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw near and come that we may know it. And then he talks about, therefore, as the fire devours the stubble and the flame consumes the chaff, so their root will be rotten, rottenness and their blossom will ascend like dust because they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts and despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. So you have that same, Isaiah's going out and in his, in his preaching and in his saying stuff, he says, I've been preaching to you about the Holy One of Israel. That's the one I saw. And where you reject it, despise it, you know, there's, there's only rottenness. But he comes that we may that we may know him. Well, this 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 conversation couldn't take place on a better on a better day than Transfiguration Sunday, because in the text there it talks about Jesus' exodus. Where is he going? He is going to the cross, and then where is he going? He's going to the grave. And then what happens? He rises from the dead. And now where's he at? Everywhere. The second part comes from Psalm 118. It's actually down in verse 26 where it says, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But, once again, let me put it in its context. Psalm 118, uh, it begins with an antiphon. It's repeated at the end, just like with our introit. So give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, his mercy endures forever. So there's a thanksgiving, uh, because we know what God is doing in his mercy well, our liturgy, our Eucharist, is a thanksgiving at the beginning. We're thanking him for what he has done. Uh, this is about his mercy that endures forever. As the song goes on, it says, In my distress I called out, Man, uh, he can't do anything to me because I trust in the Lord. What happened? All the nations were coming. They were surrounded me. They were uh, going against me. But the Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. The Lord is providing. He's taking care. The voices of rejoicing and salvation. What is this? In the tents of the Lord, you might say in God's uh, camp, in his church, uh, the people, the righteous are rejoicing. That's where the Lord is exalted. I will not die but live. The Lord is going to provide. Verse 19 goes on, that church continues to say, I'm, he's going to open up to me the gate, and the righteous will enter in through God's gate. Uh, in response to that, I'm going to praise him. Verse 22 talks about the stone which the builders has rejected. Uh, uh, we know about uh, how the Lord was rejected by his own uh, people. And the day the Lord has made is actually, well, Good Friday. <laughs> and we're going to rejoice. It's marvelous what he has done. And then, verse 25 through 28. Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. So the, uh, the church is welcoming the one who is coming to them. God is the Lord. He's given us life. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God. I will praise you. You are my God. I will exalt you. Uh, and then comes the antiphon at the end. Psalm 118. Jesus chanted this psalm. Doesn't say it exactly. Every church father says they chanted this song. Do you know when? Palm Sunday. I always thought it came from that when the people said, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
But they were just chanting this? Yes. Okay. I never put that down. It was chanted on Palm Sunday, absolutely. <laughs> but most say that when Jesus got up from the table where he was celebrating the Passover and instituting the Lord's Supper, that it says they chanted a psalm and went to the Garden of Gethsemane. Everyone says, this was the psalm. Why? It tells the whole story. It it, it does. It tells the whole story. It puts it all together. Uh, They all surrounded me, and then God's people were... You know, this is where Jesus is chanting, and he's trying to let them see... It's a summary. The summary. It's all coming true. It's It's all happening. And so, you're right. I took you to Psalm 118, uh, but Palm Sunday, as they are coming in, normally as you would go to the Passover, the people would sing songs. We sing Christmas songs at Christmas times. They sang the Ascension Psalms, the Passover Psalms, as they made their way to Jerusalem. Well, here comes Jesus in, and they sing the songs that go with it. Um, I mean, it, it would it would be a little... I mean, it sounds crazy, but it, it would be like like the Christmas songs that we have being written before Christmas came. And then when Jesus came, everyone went, hey, we're singing Christmas. You know, obviously they were written after, but this happens to be exactly the other way around, where it was prophesied about him and, and, and his coming. So... Uh, on your white sheet, which I gave you, um, uh, we have Matthew 21, verse 9. And the multitudes that went before and that followed after cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So our... Uh, oops. So our... So our Sanctus that we sing combines the song of the seraphim, the angels, the heavenly, with our singing of the coming of Jesus to the temple. Why do they put those two together? Of heaven and earth. <laughs> right. Angels and archangels, heaven and earth. What's going on? We recognize that in the Lord's Supper, Jesus comes to us just as this is the same. We recognize that his coming to us is this. If the glory of the Lord is when who he is and what he has done is truly known. Pastor Ren already gave the punchline for you. When do we have the glory of the Lord? <coughs> when he says it's finished. <laughs> we see, you know, they, they keep saying to, to Jesus, well, show us the Father. He goes, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. When you've seen my love for you, when you see me dying and taking away your sins, you see, you now know God. You know exactly. I mean, it, it's truly being proclaimed. Uh, when we proclaim, this is the day the Lord has made, let us all rejoice in it. Let's rejoice in the, when he is raised up and it is finished. Well, I agree, it doesn't fully happen until the end when we die, but at Lord's Supper... This is like a little glimpse. We get to be in heaven for just a little bit and get a a picture of what's to come. Just like the word proclaims to us the forgiveness of sins, which we don't fully receive, we would say, until, you know, our simple nature is taken away and we're having, yeah, yeah, yeah. But communion then proclaims to us the heavenly vision, us welcoming into the marriage feast, Already, but we, by the word, experience that foretaste of the feast to come. 
say. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we get it. We look and we say, by faith, I got it right now. Um, so that is uh, the intention as it, as it puts together. Uh, here is where uh, the glory of the Lord is, is put forth. And, uh, you know, we tend to think... My God is an awesome God, you know. We tend to think it's when the fireworks happen and 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 that kind of. But for here, <laughs> while we're here on Earth, it's where the Lord gives us the His suffering and death for us. If we if we could realize what's happening when we take the Lord's Supper, we'd be overwhelmed. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and it's always, and this is where as I go forward, and Mary, when I get to the canon that is excised, that is cut out, there's a reason why Luther, they finally forced him and said, well, this Reformation and this gospel and all this, you're finally going to have to do something with the Mass. And... You know, he, he 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 didn't want to be the one who forced it. That would be kind of in the way of the law. You've got to do it this way or whatever. And finally, he produced a Latin as well as a, a German order. And in both of these, he pretty well cuts out the canon. Uh, what does he leave? Sanctus, words of institution... Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Sanctus, Lord's Prayer, Words of Institution. He cuts the rest of it out. Why? He cuts it out because it had turned the service of Lord's Supper into something we do for God. Um, instead of a sacrament, they turned it into a sacrifice, instead of a sacrament, something that God is giving us and that we see. And and that is huge. I, I, I can't say that enough, I, and I will say it in a hundred different ways over probably the next two Sundays as, as we talk about this, because we tend to think, if, if you listen to those, particularly in the kind of Calvinist tradition and John Calvin, whatever, we tend to think that God gets the glory when the Ten Commandments are kept and we do right. And this tells us that here and now, God gets the glory when we receive Christ and what he has done for us. When we see him for who he is, and realize, oh my, he's coming to give me um, Isaiah tongs with with the living coal, and it brings it to him and touches his lips. What do you get? Body and blood. The representative of Christ takes the body and blood and comes and touches your lips. He gives you. You, you can see that this is. That's where the glory. So that's that's the that's the difference. Um, and uh, uh, you know, and Pastor Aaron already gave you Transfiguration Sunday. Same thing. What do we have? Uh, the three inner group of apostles get to go with Jesus up on the mountain. He's transfigured before him. They see. What do they see? The glory of the Lord. Now, is it, you know, fireworks and great... Well, yeah, I guess it is. I guess it is. Better than fireworks. What now? Better than fireworks. But it's better than fireworks. And something else is going on there. What's going on up on that mountain where Jesus is in all his glory? The saints are with them, Moses and Elijah and and, and all. And, and, and Peter says, yeah, let's stay, you know... The mountaintop experience. Woo! It's confirmation of who Christ is, but it's all confirmation that Christ keeps his promise and the saints are with him in paradise. 
right? What do the saints say? Get you or no? I'm going to finish and I'll come back, back to you. Go through with it. What do they say? They're talking about his death. Moses and Elijah are saying, Jesus, you're going to the cross to take away their sins. And Peter says, no, let's stay here a while. Wait, no, you want him to go. You know, the glory of Jesus comes in. It's, it's, that's the difference. Um, that's where we see the importance of this. And so we don't, we don't get sad over uh, the hallelujahs going away. Because we know it, it has to be here for a while. We know there's going to be an end. Or at the end of Isaiah 6, that remnant, there's going to be a root. It won't. It, how long? You do it till here and all go away. But there will be a, and the Holy One will return. There's always, we're always looking forward and we, and we can't stop that. You will not get heaven on earth. But heaven will come. Well, at the Transfiguration, and here at the Lord's Supper, you have an example, or you have examples of the true meaning of the Greek word mysterion, which is where we get the English word mystery. Mysterion means that something is hidden, and it's revealed. It's not figured out, it's revealed. And so... At the transfiguration, what happens to Jesus? The hidden thing, that he is the true God, is revealed. What happens in the Lord's Supper? The true God comes to us with his body and blood. This is why Luther cut out the canon of the Mass. And the words reveal what's happening. This is my body. This is my blood. You don't need anything else there. You have the word of God. And it's revealed what's going on. That's why, that's why the sacrament's a mystery. That's why the, the, the uh, transfiguration is a mystery. Because we can't figure it out. There's, you can't put words to what happens in the Transfiguration or in the Lord's Supper. There are no words in, the, in any human language to actually describe what's going on. So, part of the glory of the Lord to them would be when we're receiving the word and baptism. Same thing. Yeah. In a, you know, in, in, in a different way, perhaps, than the, than the Lord's Supper, but it's still God's glory revealed to us. Well, yeah, there's no bread and wine in the Lord's yeah, or in baptism, yeah. but there's no water in the Lord's Supper. Yeah. Right. So, baptism, God uses water and the Word to forgive us our sins and says, You are a child of God. You are my child, yep. my dearly loved child. God gets the glory when we say, I'm a baptized child of God. I just realized what he did. And when I profess that, you know, that is, that is recognized. It's not when I say, I submitted to a baptism and went all the way under, you know, kind of. No, it's, it's exactly. And the same thing when you preach the word, because even though that seems more mundane, it's really not. No. It's God speaking to us and revealing his glory. Correct. So would you also say then, when we live in our baptism daily, confessing our sins, is that also then God's, God's glory being revealed because he's done this great thing in us? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so in uh, the explanation uh, that was uh, written concern, I've kind of brought that out from time to time, they talk about the word sanctus, the holy, holy. It's the great hymn of the communion service. Um, the divisions. First, we have from Isaiah, who heard it sung by the seraphim. Second, it was the multitudes who went with Christ into triumphal entry in Jerusalem. Same words are in hymn 118, which our Savior is supposed to have chanted with the disciples at the Holy Supper. The first is heaven's hymn of praise. The second is earth's hymn of praise. And thus is fulfilled that heaven and earth are full of thy glory. Uh, it it uh, relates. 
Uh, each verse closes with Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna also is a Hebrew word, which means Lord save us. When they cried that out, uh, they were asking uh, the Lord to save. The first nature of the it's is an exalted strain of praise in which the saints on earth join the angels in heaven in declaring God's perfection and in proclaiming that his glory as manifested in creation and redemption fills all things. This verse recalls the words of the Eucharistic prayer at all times and in all places. What's suggested by the second verse? It's called the Benedictus. We hail Christ as our Savior and deliver these words, resolve the whole sanctus in a hymn of praise to Christ as God. We here look forward to the administration in which the Lord comes to each one. Uh, John 12, in John 12, uh, John says, when Isaiah wrote this, he was talking about Jesus. I mean, John just flat out tells us this. Um, Where did he get this? You know, probably from the teaching of Christ. Probably put it together with uh, the uh, Christ suffering death and rising. Hosanna means save us in the highest in high heaven is an ex- exclamation of the most intense feelings and gives utterance to the lofty praises. It's also explained as a cry similar to God saved the king. Um, uh, it talks about the exhortation. Uh, and then goes on to talk about the administration of the uh, Lord's Prayer. Uh, Reed says in, in similar ways, the Sanctus, which derives its name from the Latin word for holy, is the climax, the conclusion of the preface in the congregation in it, the congregation dramatically joins in the song of the angel. It is a solemn act of adoration and thanksgiving in the spirit of holy awe. It has been called the most ancient, the most celebrated, the most universal of Christian hymns. You know, when I went back to and talked about the preface part, which concludes with the Sanctus, it is included in every one of those, you know, from 60 AD on, everything that we have shows that. Um, uh, Roman scholars uh, regarded an interpolation cuts the canon in two, uh, which began with the preface. Um, that that may or may not be true, um, uh, historically looking back. But from our point of view, though, it is the great hymn of praise of the communion. It's balancing the glory and excelsis in the you know, divine service, the first part, the word service, the anti-communion. Its full liturgical and aesthetic effect is realized when every part of the service, from the Sursum Corda to the Sanctus, is chanted. Uh, uh, goes on John 12 being uh, uh, the praise of Christ, uh, of God. What is the Sursum Corda? Sursum Corda is we lift up our hearts. Lift up your hearts. Sursum Corda, lift up your hearts. All right. Uh, following the... So, that gives you the, the sanctus itself. So, from the beginning, the Lord be with you and with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them to the Lord. Um, it is good and right. You know, It's truly good, right, and salutary. Which at all times, then there is the uh, uh, that. With angels and archangels, then we sing the holy, holy, holy... After that, in our liturgy comes the. Uh, let's see. In our liturgy, there is the preface, proper sanctus. Then there is the Lord's prayer and the words of institution. But this was included in the middle of something called the canon. And so the words of institution, uh, as well as the Lord's Prayer, which kind of came after it, but the words of institution were stuck in the middle of this long prayer of pretty well seven paragraphs of praying uh, and, and were done by the priest and were done silently. They got cut out. Um, and so we need to take a look and see what did Luther say about this 
uh, why did he, and, and I'm going to say there's been a, a lot of discussion about this, especially in, from about 1900 on, um, leading to about 1950, with the... Uh, you had the common service, and then remember you have the common liturgy where they changed it and, and went back and, and they brought back things. Um, but, to kind of give you the, the big picture, from the Reformation, 1580, to modern times, 400 years, Practically every Lutheran liturgy followed this. Now there are those that have said, "Well, Luther, he was he got a little radical at this. You know, he was kind of a gentle reformer, and he didn't want to do anything too much. But at this point, I mean, he got out the scalpel, you know, and instead of just cutting out, I mean, he just." I mean, he lopped off a couple arms of the liturgy, and, and we don't know why he went so crazy. Um, that's the way it is presented. And and that he was radical, and he did a, a too, too, too big a job. You know, in trying to cut out the cancer, he cut out the whole organ. I don't know why he did it, but... And that's kind of the way they, they look at it. Um, we're going to take a look at that next time. I did include on the back of your page, uh, actually it starts on the front, where it talks about, uh, let's see, and it talks about the canon includes the prayers following the Sanctus and up to but not including the Lord's Prayer. Sometimes it's called the Prex or the Actio. In Greek it's called the Anaphora. That's usually pretty common. Some call it the Prayer of Thanksgiving. Some call the whole thing the Eucharistic prayer. Um, I'm going to try to be consistent in, in explaining it. Uh, the first part of the Eucharistic prayers, the canon in Rome, in the East they call it the anaphora. In all rites, it's now separated from the rest by the singing of the Sanctus. Uh, according to the idea of thanksgiving, which after the example of the Lord's Supper formed a fundamental element of the Eucharistic services, all liturgies begin the anaphora, the consecration prayer, the can or whatever, by thanking God for his benefits and all, and so we're going to, we'll, we'll, we'll take a look at that and see uh, why, and if you, you go to the back page of this, I'll, I'll come to it, Eric, there, here's a listing of kind of all of the prayers that were included in the canon, and then the words of institution are right here. So you kind of pretty well have from 1 through 13 and then 7, uh, this would be the words of institution itself, uh, which Luther uh, kept. From the publication of the Latin, the Formula Missae, uh, until recent times, Lutheran Eucharistic rites have omitted the prayers, the canon of the Mass, that followed the Sanctus and the Benedictus in the Latin rite, leaving only the Lord's Prayer, the words of institution, uh, and the Pax Domini, the peace of the Lord, on the private prayers of the presiding minister. There is almost no exceptions to this general rule. I, I, if, if, if there's one thing that they were pretty well all in agreement is they all followed Luther. Um, there are some things that Luther said to do or not do, and eh, it happened. Sometimes it didn't, you know. Um, it was practical suggestions. But uh, with this one, they, they, they didn't. Um, Luther notes in the formula that the Mass most properly consists in our using the gospel receiving the gospel, taking the gospel, hearing the gospel. That is, we not only hear with our ears, but receive it, take it into faithful hearts. And in our communing at the table of the Lord, he sees the prayers of the canon as an idolatrous assertion of our power to please God on the basis of our cultic action. 
like cultic action. It means that by our doing these certain things, standing this way, doing this way, doing kind of liturgical actions, we are doing something that is going to, by our power, we're going to please God. Fallen man offers his worship from that assertion. Well, what does God want? Well, I'll just give him what he wants. I'll do it. It stands as the basis for a multitude of cultic actions and observed on the basis of the inspiration by Satan and our own opinion of self-righteousness. In the, and this is one of his three uh, writings uh, concerning the Lord's Supper and the Mass and the Canon, this one called The Admonition Concerning the Sacrament of the Body and Blood of Our Lord. This is early on, 1530. I mean, this is the time of the Augsburg Confession. Um, he actually wrote, I don't know if he wrote all three of them at, in at the Wittenberg Castle. But, uh, Luther affirms again that the sacrament of the altar is a gracious ordinance, graciously instituted by God for our eternal welfare. He set it up. He's giving out gifts in it. The right anamnesis, there's going to be two words that I'm going to uh, introduce to you next time. One is anamnesis, which means remembrance. The other one is epiclesis, uh, which means a changing, uh, a changing. Um, anamnesis is our remember is remembrance when the Lord says, "Do this in anamnesis in remembrance of us." The other is the church had a prayer in which they prayed that the Holy Spirit would epiclesis the elements that they would become the body and blood of Christ. Change a prayer of change. Okay, uh, um, the right. Anamnesis is that we participate in the worship that God has established and has blessed. Luther contrasts this when he says, and he's speaking about this. Now, if you want to engage in a marvelous, uh-huh. great worship to God and honor Christ's passion rightly, then remember and participate in the sacrament. It's come to Lord's Supper. In it, as you hear, there is a remembrance of him. That is... He is praised and glorified. If you practice or assist in practicing this same remembrance with diligence, then you will assuredly forget about the self-chosen forms of worship. For it has been said, you cannot praise and thank God too often or too much for his grace revealed in Christ. So if you participate in the Lord's Supper and receive that, you will find that uh, that will be the right way of, of remembrance Luther, uh, this stands behind Luther's reticence to produce new prayers that would replace the parts of the canon because he says they turn the work of God into our work. The blessing in the Mass is in what Christ says and gives and not in our action by which we appropriate his sacrifice for ourselves and others. Look, look what we've got. No, it's by receiving. The proper remembrance is to have confidence, faith in him, to do what he has said we are to do, that is, take and eat, take and drink of it. Not in the anamnesis that we compose and speak. Look at, look at what we're remembering. Uh, thus, in Luther's liturgical works, in the majority of church orders, there is no continuation of the great thanksgiving of the preface at the conclusion of the angelic hymn, the Sanctus. It, it, it's been cut out. Um, we've already noted that Luther's Latin Mass connects the words of institution to the preface. And in the German Mass, the words of Christ follow a paraphrase of the Lord's Prayer and the admonition. It becomes customary in many of the church orders that such an exhortation follow the Sanctus. And so we have that uh, admonition uh, where, where we've been following as well. Uh, let me conclude then with, with, with this part as well. Uh, Luther's, uh, no, this is 1525, that's the other one of the three that he wrote, called The Abomination of the Secret Mass, provides a detailed critique of the canon of the Mass, prayer by prayer. Christ has shed his blood for us, suffered death on our behalf, and in the sacrament he gives us the fruit of his sacrifice. But that sacrifice is not honored when sinful people undertake by their own works to do what only Christ can do, or by means of their worship, apply the work of Christ to themselves. Luther says, this I say is our gospel. 
that Christ has made us righteous and holy through that sacrifice and has redeemed us from sin, death, and the devil and has brought us into his heavenly kingdom. We have to grasp this and hold it fast through faith alone. We have preached this and reiterated it so often that everyone can know it well and conclude from it that all our works undertaken to expiate sin and escape from death are necessarily blasphemous. They deny God and insult the sacrifice that Christ has made and disgrace his blood because they try thereby to do what only Christ's blood can do. So next time I'll take a look at the canon. We'll take a look at uh, why Luther cut it out, what is so blasphemous uh, in those, and why he determined, you know, I'm not even going to replace it with other prayers. I'm just going to leave the words of institution. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you have revealed yourself to us, not only by Isaiah's vision, uh, but by the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so help us uh, that we, confessing our sins, might know that we are forgiven, that we too might Uh, recognize him who comes to us uh, by our singing of holy, 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 for that is what you are and what you wish to make us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.